Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt Eye Connections in New York taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about Eye Connections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Okay, welcome to On the Tape. I'm Dan Nathan. I'm here with Demo, Danny Moses. You know the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he was just called a legend by our guest right here, Mike Wilson, who is the head equity strategist at Morgan Stanley, also the CIO. Welcome back to On the Tape, Mike Wilson. Yeah, great to see you guys. Mike, it's almost like we can just leave now because everything you say, I completely agree with. So we can just you really? can just speak. No, the, 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 I, I agree with everything this guy has yeah, been saying. But now we got to put it on the tape, right? I make this promise: if and when you do turn bullish, I will turn bullish with you. I really? My word. Yes. When he does it, all I will of our do listeners it. are waiting for that moment. I will do that. So. All right. Well, you know who else is waiting? Guy Adami is in the uh, what tunnel? The Lincoln Tunnel, AD, or the Holland? One of the tunnels. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know. But I will tell you, he's probably fit to be tied. So he's going to show up hopefully in a little bit here. We're going to get into it. All right, Mike Wilson, as Danny just said, not only do we think you were the best strategist on the street, both of us go way back with you. You and I, when you were in tech sales, you were working with our friend Billy back in the late 90s, and I was at a hedge fund. You were covering me, and you were a standout salesman. You went on to run equity research. You went on to be a strategist, CIO now. You have a lot of titles at Morgan Stanley. Talk to us about that, what, 25-year career at the same bank? That is unheard of generally, isn't it? 30 years, but Whoa. who's counting? Working on 31. But the key to my success is that I, I move on before they figure out I'm useless. <laughs> you get rid of the next job, you know, create that new job, and they say, oh, well, I forgot about that guy, and the next job's on. Really? I don't think that's the case. <laughs> Look, it keeps it interesting. I mean, I never would have been able to stay at one place of work doing the same thing. I would go crazy. So, look, on one hand, I've been extremely fortunate because they've given me that opportunity. I mean, they usually give me too much to do, and then we just figure it out. So I've been fortunate been a great place. It's been a hell of a ride, by the way, at Morgan Stanley and all the investment banks for the last 30 years. And it feels nice because I do feel like Morgan Stanley is uh, in a really good position now. I would say that you and I both started in the business same year, 1991. I started MBIA and Muni Bonds and then went to Oppenheimer. But because you've been there so long and Morgan Stanley has been so involved in everything, everything to do with capital markets and recently really build out retail and retail has been a main focus, obviously, in the last several years, you get to see a lot. And when you came in here, I told you that I know a lot of private wealth guys at Morgan Stanley. Yeah, they pay attention to the other research, but really how they get paid is to take your research that you send out, kind of make notes and send it to their clients. So you've seen a lot of things. And I think, go into your current viewpoint here, 
that's why you're just logical. And people always say you're bearish to me or you're bearish to you. I'm like, it's just kind of logic that we're going to have a reversion here, like burn back through the atmosphere, I kind of call it here. We talk about your current mindset here, how you're seeing things, because like I just mentioned, I won't go in it again, but you've dealt with companies on roadshows. You've dealt, you've, you've lived every life at Morgan Stanley. And I think that's important for people to understand. You're not just coming from nowhere. Yeah, we call that's a nice way of saying I'm old. Got a lot of experience, so it's it's true. I mean, experience. There's no better teacher than experience in living through these different cycles and periods and doing different jobs. You see these things, so that when they pop up again, you recognize them. You say, "Oh, I've seen that before," and this is the way it usually plays out. We don't get everything right, but we are familiar with these things. And I think you said it right, Danny. It's just logic. We're not trying to make some big bold call necessarily, but when the logic is out of like the markets have been illogical a lot in the last 15 years because of QE. The markets haven't always traded logical. In the last couple of years, we're actually reverting back to logic, okay, because they're withdrawing some of this extraordinary policy. And that normalization process, okay, was just going back to normal. It was something we saw early because we've seen the way the world was pre-QE, pre-GFC, even pre-tech bubble. And that process is painful. Extracting heroin, if you will, from the patient, it's been a painful year. Now, I think we'll get through it. The patient will survive, okay? But this bear market's not over yet. All right, so talk to us a little bit about the thought process, at least in Mike Wilson's head, because there was a point in 2021 where you were very bullish, and we know that. You come on with Guy and myself. You're on CNBC a lot, and you have a Monday piece that, like to Danny's point, is a very widely followed piece in the investment community. And there was a petering off of that bullishness at some point in kind of early 2021. And what were you seeing in the buildup? You weren't buying the transitory argument here. Did you see this inflation? And Danny, just in the summer of 2021, he really started introducing the idea that we are going to be in a very stagflationary environment if a lot of the things that continue and largely having to do with what the Fed was probably not acknowledging at the time. So talk to us how you changed your tune in 2021 and how did it feel being really on an island for major bulge bracket strategists and starting out 2022, particularly bearish? It's really funny. I mean, we do get pegged to be perma bear, whatever, and uh, you know, join the club. <laughs> you should wear that with a badge of honor. <laughs> I, I mean, in many, I mean, look, I'm a fiduciary, right? So you got to tell it like it is. But the reality is, is that we were extremely bullish in 2020 for the same reasons we were bearish, right? So we saw the inflation coming, which when inflation is picking up, it's extremely bullish for stocks. And people were slow to catch on to that. And so there was this huge earnings cycle that actually went even further than we expected. So to be fair, we probably got the train a little bit early. Okay, we left a little bit on the table at the end, but I'm okay with that, leaving the party a little early to make sure you don't get taken away by the cops. And that's what we did. So what we really saw in the spring of 2021 was that M2 growth peaked. Okay, we're cycle analysts. That's all we do. We're really dedicated to it. We understand it. It's money supply for those people out there. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yep. money supply, M2. And it's not just the Fed's balance sheet, but also the velocity in the economy. I actually think that most of the inflation is due to fiscal stimulus more than monetary. Now, monetary had its hand in it, but that was really the- The gravy. Yeah, that was well, that was really the train. That, they, that's who paid for it. But we had M, think about this, we had M2 growth in March of 21 of 25%. So anybody didn't think that inflation was coming, I mean, I mean it's crazy, right? I mean, inflation is a monetary phenomena. M2 growth today is 2%. Now, if you recall going back to March of 21, that's exactly when like crypto peaked, SPACs, IPOs, all the high unprofitless companies. So that was the beginning of the bear market. And we got like way out of the way of that stuff early. And then it lingered on, the market rotated around, went to quality and everything else. And we went full on defensive in November, almost a year ago under the idea that it was this fire and ice narrative, right? That the Fed was finally going to put out the fire. That was the first part of this year. Multiples got crushed for everything. But now what we have to deal with is the slowdown. 
the ice. Our out of consensus call now is on earnings. We think earnings are going to disappoint significantly, even without a recession. The key point that we're making with clients now, and I don't think it's fully appreciated yet, this goes back to experience, is that operating leverage cuts both ways. So we had positive operating leverage when inflation was going up. Guess what? As inflation peaks, you actually get negative operating leverage because the costs are actually still increasing at a faster rate. So we're just starting that process now. Last quarter was the first one we started to see that degradation. This quarter, it'll get worse. And what we don't know the answer to yet is when will the market price where we think earnings are ultimately going? We think it's sometime between basically this month and February. It could take two more quarters, and we just don't know. But the price point we know is too high still. So let's stick with that for a second. I want to come back to something else. So if S&P earnings, I think you're $212 for 2023. Is that or 200? 212 is our base case, but our bear case is sort of 190.95, and we're leaning towards well, the bear that's... case. But that's what we're leaning in that direction. So let's call it 200. 200 let's is the right so. number. Do you believe that within the year of 2023 that we will trough at some point, meaning what I'm trying to get at is and what that number would be? So if we just think of, a, I know I've read your research, you and I think alike, a 14 to 15 type multiple on that number, we're probably going to dance around the 3,000 level in the S&P, but we tend to overshoot on the way up and we tend to overshoot on the way down. And I think that's what you're talking about. What I want to get to is this. You just nailed it on the head. So there's a large group of investors that have only known that the Fed has had your back. And for that matter, global central banks have had their back. So they've never been tested to really go underneath the covers and look at some of these companies. And you can punch people in the face all you want, but it takes earnings misses, earnings degradation to actually put pen to paper. This, that skill set, it's certainly out there. And there's a lot of professors that get it. But that's why I feel like we're only in like the second or third inning of that realization that you just touched on. When is the punch in the face? Is it this quarter that's going to be reported now? Or is it, where are we in that? Well, first of all, we've already been punched and kicked in the face with the Fed. So on that note, I think the market actually gets a joke. Like I think rates are probably peaking now the Fed's probably already gone too far. They probably know it, but they want to make sure they finish the job. So they'll go too far. And we'll have a probably a mild recession at some point. We're 50-50 on that as a house, but it doesn't really matter. The earnings are going to get smashed. Now, as you know, stocks will discount the earnings trough six months in advance. Our model, what I would suggest to you strongly, is that the trough rate of change, which is what matters year over year growth and earnings, will happen sometime probably late second quarter, early third which, once again, argues that maybe we bottom sometime between November and February. The market is really smart. It's really dumb, and then it's really smart. It's really dumb because it doesn't think forward. It has to be told. It needs what I call the engraved invitation from companies to say, okay, take your numbers down, and the market adjusts. And that process usually happens at the end of the year because companies kind of kitchen sink it, or at the beginning of the year when they're forced to guide for the full year, and then you get the full reset. That's why the timing is kind of now. As far as the multiple goes and like well, how we get to 3,000, it's a little bit different than that because it won't trough when the earnings trough, as I just said. It'll trough when earnings are 30% of the way done going to its ultimate destination. This is where the market's really smart. As soon as you're 35% done with it, it just knows that we're 35% of the way done. That's when the multiple bottoms. And we've been using sort of 225. That's the third of the move to 200 from 240, which was the peak. And we think it's 13, 13 and a half. That's your trough multiple. 13, 13 and a half times 225, that's around 3,000. I mean, can we be that precise? No. Is it a really good framework? Absolutely. So, Mike, what's it feel like being on an island as a strategist for one of the largest investment banks in the world? And just everything was coming your way with your fire and ice call. It was all happening. It was a large part, though, your competitors, a lot of your major clients, the pushback there, they just thought it was going to be something that was also going to be transitory. We're going to have this sort of thing where we're going to get back to buying the dip. And that's what, what has it felt like that we're literally 
through nine months of the year. We're through three quarters. And almost everything that you're predicting, even though you were a little early in 2021, it's all happening. So now, all of a sudden, we're starting to see some of those perma bulls throw in the towel here. And they're going to probably get it right for that move back to like the low 3000s in the S&P 500. But people like Danny and me and Guy, we have long memories. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, thanks. That's uh, nice of you to recognize it. Some people don't. Clients have recognized it. They've been great. We've helped them hopefully navigate this. Being on the island, to be quite honest, is exhausting uh, because you're always defending your position. But it's no different to being an investor. An investor, a lot of times, you're having to defend your position in the market, and the market's not wrong. You're wrong. So it's, it's the same thing. The investment process and the investment business, if you're committed, I told it to somebody yesterday, if you're really committed to this business as an investor, as somebody who's trying to help investors or be an advisor, and I kind of do both, it's exhausting. And that's just the life we've chosen. Speaking of exhausting, and then a godfather quote, look who's here, Guy Adami. Door is locked. Guy Adami. Put your mic on. Look who's, we got Mike Wilson. I got Danny Moses. So, Guy, perfect timing. Have a seat. I was just about to get into the Fed, so there really was no reason for you to speak yeah, until but, this exact but moment. But Mike Wilson yeah. just said, this is the business that we have chosen. He, he, just, he just said, said it. it. So I'm coming in late here. It's First of all, it's great to see. What do they call it in real life, Dan? When IRL. In real life. In real life, right. So Mike Wilson, IRL here. You know I have the utmost respect for Mike, but so I've gotten this thing where I do song lyrics, right? And it, it comes to me in the car. By the way, I got in the car at 1.37 p.m. East Coast time. Now, this is first world problems. Don't effing at me on Twitter. I am not interested in it, okay? It is now 3.16 as we're doing this. You can do that math. That's a long-ass trip. Shouldn't take that long. Path train. Excuse me? Path train. I don't know. Aren't there things? Oh, what do you just create a path train? You I just don't know. make just, one up out of the blue. You're like, you you're, bar, you're Barbara Eden. Mike, where do you live? White Plains. Okay, easy enough. 28 minute train. train, nothing. Yeah. Fourth studio album um, from the mighty Van Halen was, you might remember, Fair Warning, yep. right? Yep. Fair Warning. Just yep. keep that in mind, Danny Moses. Fair yep. Warning. At night, I walk this stinking street <laughs> past the crazies on my block. Everybody thinks we're nuts. They've thought that for a while. And I see the same old faces, and I hear the same old talk. Listen to this. And I'm searching for the latest thing, a break in this routine. I'm talking some new kicks, some like you ain't never seen. Now, why do I bring that up? Because we've been giving people fair warning literally since we started this thing. And there are mean streets. But for a guy like Mike Wilson, and you talk about this all the time, Danny Moses, and his job has never been in jeopardy. I'm not suggesting this. But to make the call that he's made and bid steadfast on for the last at least year, if not longer, I mean, that puts you at some risk in a world where you can just fade into the ether with everybody else. Yeah, buy the dip, buying opportunity, all the bullshit you typically hear because there's no ramifications for being bullish and for being wrong. That's what I would like to sort of add to this great conversation I'm certain you already had. I would say that we use the word logic, being logical, and that's where we were in this exact process, talking about earnings degradation, where we're going to hopefully trough and where that's going to be and how I would give anything to be bullish and how when Mike does turn bullish, I promise to follow him, even though on that episode I'm going to say, do you believe Mike turned bullish? Is he crazy? So I'll just preview that now. But Mike, so let's get into the Fed for a second and this reliance, because something big has been happening over the last, well, last six months, but specifically in the last couple of weeks, right? The heroin that you just referenced was trying to come back a little bit. Left the clinic, I promise I'm cured, put the heroin back in. RBA, Reserve Bank in Australia, goes 25. Ooh, BOE comes in to undo Liz Truss's mess. So it's really interesting today at what the gilts are doing. They're having a massive move higher again. Why? Because the BOE didn't buy anything the last couple of days. Even if the Fed stops, which I think, I wanna hear your opinion, I, I know they're overshooting, 
I believe their first move is going to be to stop QT because I believe that will settle the mortgage market a little bit. It may not, but the perception will be, and it will settle the treasury market. And I'll end with this because they have a lot of financing needs over in England. And all of a sudden, they're going to have these huge auctions coming. And the BOE only put this in place for basically a month, this kind of stopgap. Anyway, I want your thoughts on that addiction and then your thoughts specifically for Guy, especially about what the Fed is doing wrong right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually not a big critic of the Fed because they have a tough job. They're reactionary by design. So they're always going to, I mean, they're looking at employment data and they're looking at inflation data, which is backward looking. So they're always going to be late to start and late to finish, but that's by design. So I don't really disparage the sort of central banks. Once again, I think fiscal policy was the real reason we got this blowout inflation because, look, that's the difference between the GFC and today, right? The only difference between the two periods was that we didn't actually put the money into the economy. That's what got the inflation going. That's the thing that people, I think, don't appreciate. But the reality is, is that what's going on right now is M2 growth is now negative on a global basis. Okay, so whenever that happens, stuff breaks. UK market, gilt market was the first thing, kind of big one, where we got the first major bank to reverse course. So as I wrote this weekend, is this the light at the end of the tunnel? Meaning, has the reversal process began? Yes, the BOE is reversing. RBA only did 25. Polish National Bank only did zero. So they're starting, but it doesn't matter because the only- How many bankers did it take to do that? <laughs> Sorry. Probably more than it should have. But <laughs> the, the reality is, is that the, the Fed is the only central bank in the world that can actually print the dollars. We're short dollars. That's what's going on right now. It's a global phenomenon. And the Fed will eventually have to pivot. So I totally agree with you, Danny. It's going to be they stop QT. They're not going to cut rates that much. Right. They're going to stop QT because that's the problem. And they'll probably have to do QE at some point. Not tomorrow. It is a hope trade for now, but it's the right idea. I just think it's too early. Right. And where the market's valued right now, it's not right. It doesn't make sense regardless. So there's well, a lot more yeah. pain to come before. Right. Well, not so. just that, but like the Fed really shouldn't be pivoting yet because we haven't had a financial accident that really is big enough for them to care about. That's number one. It has to be closer to home. And secondly, the jobs market is still booming and CPI is still too high. So they have to keep going to regain their credibility. One of the things that I've posited is for the first time in a while, and I may be 100% wrong, but this Federal Reserve seemed laser focused on the stock market for years, to their detriment, by the way. This one doesn't seem to be nearly as concerned. So for me, I don't think they start thinking about reversing course until the S&P is somewhere around 3,000-ish. That to me is sort of, if there's a put, that's where it is. In terms of unemployment, they want it to go higher, so they're hoping the number goes up. The thing that's going to spook them, again, my opinion, is the credit market or the credit markets. They're showing cracks. You do much more thoughtful work than I, but can you speak to that? Because if the credit markets start to go, then all bets are off with this entire thing. Totally. So let's look at the last two times they pivoted in 2019. There was the funding markets. They had the reverse repo operations. That was sort of a new facility that now is permanent. So they have that ability to do some of that stuff again. That's why those markets are actually quite stable still. Mm -hmm. Still, uh, still. Still, for now. Still. And the other one was in December of 18 when the credit markets, the funding markets in longer term, and also the year-end constraint from the banks really forced their hand. So I totally agree. And that's our house view as well. It's usually the credit markets they care about. The S&P could trade 2,500 right. if credit markets are still okay. I mean, that's the reality of it. I think when we get to 3,000, if we get there, other things will be happening that really flips their hand. And it could be labor mm -hmm. or it could be credit markets, but you're, you're spot on. It's something in the markets that inhibits the functioning nature of the economy. That's what the Fed will care about. It's interesting you mentioned the repo, and I'm not looking to get in the weeds here. I'm not looking to make people's eyes glaze over, but in September, I think it was the 17th, Danny probably knows the exact date, 2019. So before anybody even heard of COVID, 
If you remember, Danny, the overnight repo market blew up. I talked about it while you were in Italy a couple weeks ago. That exact thing, exactly right. So that, to me, now uh, people will blame COVID. I get it, causality, the whole thing. But we started talking about that and say, hey, folks, look under the hood, because something happened here that I haven't seen in a long time. So to your point about the overnight repo markets, that's, to me, and I'm glad you brought it up, because I think that's of vital importance. So to Mike's, let me just echo Mike's point. So what's happening is, for people out there, again, to explain, you pull money out of banks because you're not earning anything on your deposits. You can park it. Banks can't use the reverse repo, right? So it's everybody else that kind of comes in there, intermediaries. When you drain deposits from the banks, they can't lend as much because the ratios are all, of course. So I think we're a lot of mini breaks. And we've had, I don't know, 22,000 bond market flash crashes globally in the last six months. I mean, the flash crash we were all crazed on years ago was from 222 to 176 or something in a period of five minutes. We have that in minutes now. I mean, today, just in England. Anyway, yeah, so your thoughts on that? Because we do have many little breaks, but I don't have faith that Powell or the Fed even understands what they're looking at, to be honest with you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, like, once again, I'm not in the weeds on Fed policy. I'm not in the business of besmirching them because there's a lot of other things going that we can analyze, like earnings, like the economic cycle, like valuations that are still out of bounds. I mean, we're heading in that direction, right? So like it or not, the Fed is doing their job now. I mean, it's funny, like a year ago, everybody's like going, well, why don't you raise, you know, they're complaining that the Fed wasn't doing their job. Now they're doing their job and they're complaining about that. So I find investors to be a little bit more, they complain too much mm -hmm. about like, look, they're just doing their job. So the, the flash crashes and things like that, yeah, we're seeing these little pop-ups, but none of them have been big enough for the Fed to change course. And there will eventually, we wrote about this, there will eventually be something if they stay this course. So I told you before, let's give you some numbers. We look at global M2 in dollars. That peaked at 87 trillion in March. It's now 83 trillion. So it's down 4 trillion. That's a lot of money. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not just the fact that the Fed's tightening or other central banks are tightening. It's that there's regulatory squeeze. There's less velocity in the real economy, i.e. housing and things like that. So everything's kind of coming in in a way where M2 in dollars is right. negative on a year-over-year -year basis. If we go further negative, there is going to be an either economic or financial accident that will change their course. That should be in the next three to six months if all stays the same. What I don't know the answer to, and this is probably something you know better than I do, the plumbing now has been changed. They've created so many facilities right. where they can get dollars into the economy in other ways besides the traditional QE process. And that is an area where we could be kind of fooled where they're doing something that is not necessarily fully transparent. I don't know the answer to that. It's more of a conspiracy theory. Well, type that'll thing. be the SLR adjustment. For okay, the banks, well, there you right? go. They'll yeah. allow oh, banks sure. to hold treasuries and not have all the capital ratio requirements that they would right. need. That will be what they will do. When you see that, people are going to extrapolate that into Fed tier, the chain, they're doing that. And that might indeed happen. But Jamie Dimon next week, we can talk about JP Morgan, not Morgan Stanley here. But you're going to hear, I think, one of the greatest earning calls in history that's going to encompass everything. And one of the things or, I think— Or you won't. What do you mean? Like greatest as far as like— No, like, like greatest like, hits. It's going to be as uh, great as theater, theater. 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 Greatest sorry, sorry, yeah. theater. Sorry. And what I was going to say, Dan, was that if you're the CEO of a publicly traded company, and you just mentioned like people give year ends normally time to recalibrate, what do you do? Especially if you have a balance sheet, especially you have to refinance debt, especially you know use commercial paper market, whatever it might be. That's where the instability—it's not just in the plumbing, and that's fine. That's temporary. But that's, I think, is very frustrating for—I wouldn't say that the Fed's not transparent. I would say that they're just overshooting. And so you got to play that game as a CEO, and I think a lot of them are going to try to send a message during earnings season to the Fed. Well, look, I mean, I think they're getting what they want. I mean, they're getting an economic slowdown, probably not as fast as they want, but you have to break this thing out, right? So the labor market is still red hot. Housing market is a standstill. 
the car market now is basically coming to a standstill. These are two really important markets. I agree. And that's like shipping market. It's shipping it's market. Destroyed. I mean, cost of inventory. Inventory has ballooned. And this is all permutations of what happened during COVID, the lockdowns, and then the supply chain issues and the logistical problems. This is a lot to absorb for an economy in a short period of time. So things are going to break. We think ultimately it turns into real earnings problems. We already talked about that. Like we think earnings are way too high. And there's a lot of reasons. Okay, It's not just a typical economic recession. There's all this financialization which has to come out of the economy. All right. So next Thursday and Friday, we get Q3 earnings season kicked off. We're going to have Citi, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan. So probably 50% of the XLF starts reporting. And we all know this. We've been doing this a long time. Sometimes the way the market trades into the beginning of the earnings cycle and some of the things that we, we've seen JP Morgan gap down 3 4% after its results. And everyone feels like, ah, oh, this is going to be one of those long earnings periods. And then all of a sudden you get to that week and a half later when all the mega cap techs are reporting and it just has a different feel to it. How do you think this is going to go? Because again, we know that a lot of these companies that are going to be reporting that are dictating the course of that earnings that you're expecting to be declining next Next year in 2023, they got a lot of dollar exposure. They got a lot of fixed costs that are really being impacted by input costs and their ability to continue to pass them on, whether it be to consumer. We've seen peak margins. How does this shake out in Q3 earnings season? Are we going to see a meaningful downgrade to Q4 estimates? And then will that be extrapolated out to 2023 earnings? Because you're one of the only guys calling for it right now. Yeah, I think people have piled on, though. I do feel like it's getting a little more crowded in the room on the earnings story. I don't think they've had the precision that we have necessarily the confidence. But here's why I have confidence. Here's why I don't know. Well, first of all, the leading revision factors are telling us that the fourth quarter is going to come down pretty hard. What I don't know is, will people extrapolate that into 23? I think if you get enough companies pulling guidance, that'll freak people out. Or they may guide Q4 down enough on the top line where you have to extrapolate or you lose all credibility as an analyst. So I think it's a 50-50 on that. But the market, just to be clear, the market won't go down hard to my targets on the downside until the forward numbers come down in a more meaningful way. And that's the missing part. So there's a higher chance it happens now than it did 2Q because they're closer to the end of the year. It may need to bleed into the January reporting season. I've always said that the banks, forget about owning long, short, the banks in general. I want to talk about that. But the banks have been the key to all this because we have such a financialized global economy, as you just mentioned before, so much debt. And it's so crucial that people pay attention, not just to Jamie Dimon, but to all these quarters, because we know the write downs that are occurring in the debt market. We know these deals that are hung. We know, or people are now realizing that the M&A market lives off of debt because you have to finance these deals. And you're seeing right before our eyes, Citrix and some of these things get repriced and Twitter and stuff. So to me, that's my takeaway next week. And whether or not you own these stocks or don't, you have to pay attention to what they're saying, because to me, they're going to tell you, what is their industrial loan book? You know, Are they growing their C&I loan, as we call it, their personal loans? What do delinquencies look like to the consumer? To me, it tells you everything. And having been trained in financials, you can extrapolate that and take to all, all the other sectors. You alluded to some. This is a human being question. And I know the way I'm wired. And I'm obviously not a normal person, which I think is That's a good I, thing. That's why we're I, friends. Exactly. Yeah. I happen to think it's a good yeah. thing as well. But as I mentioned when I came in, you are on that island pretty much by yourself in terms of this call that's come into fruition. You just alluded to the fact that the room is getting a little more crowded. On a certain level, I think you feel there's a vindication. The market has created that vindication. Now, people coming around to your way of thinking has done as well. But does it scare you now? Do you look at this and say, holy shit, now everybody's thinking the way I am. Maybe I got to do another deep dive and say, 
maybe this is getting long in the tooth because I know that's how my brain works. Yeah, I mean, we always uh, we're paranoid schizophrenics. Like I said, we're in this business. You have to be. And yeah, it's getting more crowded. We don't like that. However, our fundamental work, we're getting more confident that we're so far out of bounds on the earnings estimates that we're going to trust that work. Once again, I go back to the timing. I don't know if it's this quarter or next quarter, but at 3,800, 3,900, the risk reward is pretty poor at the index level. One thing I want to just spend a second on, because you know we have some guys who do good work on this. So in September, obviously, we're down 10% in the S&P, and some stocks are much worse. Worst September we've seen you know, in a long time. And we basically saw some of the asset owner community, retail specifically, and the CTAs sell out. So I'll give you some rough numbers. So the CTAs, we think, sold $75 billion worth of equities. It's a huge number, okay? And they're not quite as- Can under- you explain to our audience what those are, CTAs? CTAs are, are just trend-following momentum players, uh, you, you know, usually- And they're levered, and, and they, they normally levered. They're now levered, and they only buy basically S&P futures, NASDAQ futures, maybe Russell futures, or they'll buy other futures. And just to put it in context, they're not as underweight equity exposure as they were in June, but they're close. So there's a lot of buying power that can come back if the market just hangs around for two or three weeks, which is possible because while I agree the financial sort of companies are important, what the market really will tank on is the tech names. It'll tank when those guys finally give it up uh, because that's the bulk of the earnings. That's what people really care about. And we won't know that for three weeks. So the market could kind of drift higher as that buying power kind of comes in. That's where I get nervous, but that's why we have a great team of people who can tell me, look, this is more technical. Our fundamental view is still not played out yet. And that's why we have this risk-reward framework where we say, look, it's just not attractive at 3,800. Mike, I think it's important to point out the CTAs. We've talked about the leverage in the system. And all of a sudden, you're six, seven times levered. You're borrowing at zero. And then you're six or seven times levered, borrowing at four to 5%. The tap on the shoulder that we all know, the famous Wall Street tap on the shoulder that guy might get in trading energy or whatever it might be. But that, to me, that's not coming back. That leverage isn't coming back anytime soon. You're right in the sense of the exposure, but I'm curious your thought on that, because I don't think they're going to be ramping that back up with rates where they are now. No, they're not going back to where they were, say, at the end of last year, right? right. They can't. To right. your point, the rates are much higher in their cost of capital, so they're not going to be allowed to. But they could They could buy back to 75, sure. and that's a decent number, and then it kind of builds on itself. So I'll say this, and we talked about it in our pod we did this morning. Give it a shout-out. What's it called? Uh, that's, it's called uh, Equities Unplugged. <laughs> All right. You guys smash your subscribe buttons yeah. for Equities Unplugged. Mike even? Wilson. Smash. Just, just crush that. Once, once, every a week. Two, once every two weeks. Once every two weeks. All right. So Should we do a home and away? Absolutely. You, know, yeah. you, you, want, the, you want the on the tape bears? <laughs> oh, my God. Stanley does not want us. They would kick our oh, ass. They kick my ass so quickly. There wouldn't be anything on it. would be all censored. So, yeah. <laughs> bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> Fed, bleep, bleep. Listen, we only have a couple minutes left. And one of the things that I just got to say, Guy and I have been, Guy, you've been doing Fast Money for what, 27 years? It'll be, yeah, 27 years 27 next week. January. Yeah, and I've been doing it for 10. Is there a better thing in our A block when, you know, <laughs> Mel comes to us and we're like just talking this and that or whatever, and then a guest like Mike Wilson comes on and he'll just roll in and be like, you know, Dan made a really good point. Right. Guy just kind of nailed that. Is there a better Fast Money no. guest than Mike Wilson who will just give you a shout out? Like I love that, that. Right? Fair enough? And it's, it's funny is what you don't see see on camera is if Mike were to do that oh, or if yeah. anybody would do especially with me yeah. I will flex oh, no. I will and like we'll all be pointing I will point like, at myself yeah, yeah, like yeah, look yeah. at the big brain on guys so listen Mike you know the way we feel about you that's why you're here before you run out of here they're all different metrics that you look at and there are a lot of inputs to this thing is there one thing that's going to turn that you're going to say all right guys and gals we might start thinking about turning this boat around yeah it's easy for us I mean we want to see those numbers down to about 225 on a forward basis. Mm-hmm. We want to see equity risk premium at least close to 400. 
And quite frankly, I mean, I'd like to see the PMIs closer to 45. Those are the things we've really been highlighting for folks. We're pretty disciplined in that. It doesn't mean that, you know, markets can't overshoot on the upside mm -hmm. on a tactical trade, perhaps the next couple of weeks. We're trying to stay true to our work and we tend to be early. Doesn't mean we're always right. Early is wrong sometimes, but it's unlikely we're going to be late. Did you get nervous this summer that the nearly 20% rally in the S&P 500 from the June lows to the mid-August highs? Does price sometimes make you rethink a little bit your thesis? Of course. Now, I will tell you this. I was much more nervous in March when we got back above the 200-day moving average, and we hadn't really started the earnings revision cycle yet. And I thought, oh, man, this thing's still some gas in the tank. The reason I wasn't nervous this summer is because our revision breath date had already plummeted. So I was like, this thing can run. It maybe goes to 200-day and then literally stops the 200-day to the, to the penny. Yeah. It was amazing technical. Like, if you were starting a technical analysis class, just pull that chart. Yeah, Carter Braxton Worth, worth charting. And, Mike, I want to end with this because I think you just hit on something. I don't try to think about where the market is off of its highs. I look at it on a bottom-up kind of basis. And I am still to this day, I'll never understand Q4 2021. That run from 43 or 4,400 to 4,800. I like to take that and just mark it off and use kind of 43, 400 as the rational beginning point. Do you concur with that? I still totally. okay. We, we overshot to the upside by 400 points. That was exactly our number, 4,400. Mm -hmm. Now, but markets overshoot, and we got laced in the press. I mean, rightly yeah. so. Like, oh, this guy's an idiot. And, you know, it was true. We missed 400 points. Not our press. There was a seasonality thing going on there as but well. But to Danny's so. point, it's important because what it means is that we always overshoot fair value, both on the up and the down. Now, it's interesting. The markets are rounding tops, and they're usually spike bottoms. So when we go, if we go to the low 3,000s, we ain't going to spend much time down there. Yeah, I'm with you. We're all going to nail the bottom together. Yeah, okay, together. we're set right. right here on the table. Remind right. me when I say when Mike turns, I turn, right. and when I don't, and, punch me in the and, face. And sincerely, I think the listener can tell how much respect we do have for Mike Wilson. We've all known him for a very long time, both professionally through the media, and obviously we are so glad to have you join us on the table. We hope you'll come back really soon, Mike. Really appreciate it, Thanks. Guys. Stick around, everybody. we got a lot more. we got Demos picks. What Stop else it. we got? We yeah, got, we got a lot. Got, uh, There's a big cannabis news that came out. Why? Right. Yes, I was showing you that. Stick around. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership-only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one -on -one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. All right, we're back. It is great to have Mike Wilson in real life. That's IRL. I love this. Yeah, I learned these things. Yeah. When they say 
there are other lines, other those letters they use. That, LOL? Yeah, law, that means laughing out loud. L-O-F-L? What is it? Well, F out. Okay. Laugh out freaking Well, out. whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's just dumb. If Just say it. it. It's nice having him in real life. And obviously, we admire not only him as a person, but his work has been extraordinary. And he said typically early is wrong in our business. Well, he happened to be early and spot on. So it was a real pleasure having him. And by the way, I didn't realize, Dan, this was a call-in show. But in a few minutes, we're going to get a call in from that great linebacker from Florida State University. <laughs> Brady Cobb. Now, exactly. Brady Cobb, because there is groundbreaking news. Groundbreaking. It really is. It, it is, is. In, in the cannabis space. It truly is. He's going to call in. So. He's going to call in. But, Danny, before he gets on, I mean, I don't, this seemingly came out of the blue. I didn't know about it. Well, you obviously are a lot so what's the news? Brady's been tweeting this for several months. But even earlier this week, something was brewing in Washington. There was some weird news. There was like, appointed a person to the FDA that understood marijuana reform from the state of New York. There was a lot of chatter that Cory Booker, who wanted all these social reforms, Sherrod Brown wanted these social reforms as it relates to cannabis offenses. And so he can only do stuff on the federal level, mm -hmm. Biden. So basically, and this is in real time, we're going to get Brady on to explain it better, but he's basically pardoning anyone on the federal level for possessing marijuana. That's one. And two, he's imploring at the state level to do the same and then they're also directing the HHS, Department of Health and Human Services, to basically look at descheduling the drug. So for those out there, the reason that you can't bank cannabis is because it's a, quote, Schedule One drug, like cocaine. I mean, fentanyl is not Schedule One. Let's just be clear. If you go to Schedule Two, it's not money laundering. Banks can start to do it. So anyway, this is the step. We're waiting for safe banking. I'm going to imagine Brady's about to say this is one step bigger. There are many sexy men out there. Oh there are many go. sexy, smart men out there. There are many sexy, smart men with colored histories. There are many sexy, smart men with colored histories that played linebacker at Florida State. And then there's Brady Cobb. There you go. What is going on? Oh, man. Gentlemen. Brady, I just butchered, I think, I was trying to explain because I literally read your text to me when it happened and we were recording something else. So take it from the top. What just happened? What does it mean? And where do we go? Yeah, so President Biden just did what he promised to do on the campaign trail, which I've given him a lot of shit for taking too long. But he just held a press conference where he said he's signing executive orders. The first one will be to pardon anybody that has a federal possession charge for cannabis, which is around 6,600 people, which I can't tell you the impact of that for those people's lives. Weldon Angeles, who I serve on his board at the Weldon Angeles Project, has been advocating for that alongside so many others. It's massive. The second thing that he did that I can't overstate how important it is, is he has ordered Department of Health and Human Services to conduct a review on the scheduling of cannabis, meaning it should not be scheduled where it is. And he actually referenced the fact that cannabis is scheduled next to LSD and heroin on Schedule 1, and actually fentanyl is on schedule two, which is ludicrous. And he noted correctly that that is something that this country is dealing with from an overdose standpoint, cannabis should not be there. So those two steps, I can't explain to you how massive they are. The first one is long overdue piece of social justice reform, should have happened quite some time ago. And it sets the precedent and makes the passage of safe banking that much more likely in the lame duck because it's a social justice piece that we can check off because that's the one complaint from the more liberal side of the Democratic Party is safe banking doesn't do enough for social justice. The second piece is an absolute showstopper for the cannabis industry because if cannabis were to be rescheduled, say, to Schedule 3, it's not going to go to Schedule 2 based on the president's own press release where he said Schedule 2 is where fentanyl is. It'll go something lower than Schedule 3, 
and you guys are the market masters, you can tell me that there's plenty of companies that sell schedule three and below drugs that are listed on US exchanges. So put your chin strap on. So Brady, let's talk about what that actually means. So safe banking, everyone was focused on this supersedes that but let's talk about the states for a second. So he's imploring the states to follow his lead. And then I don't think there's gonna be federal legalization, which we don't need to have all these things occur. Can you just explain the difference? And I know he's employing the states. And I want to say one other thing. You're being humble and modest in this. You've been very involved for years in this. And it always happens, not when you least expect it, because you were expecting it at some point, but it happened. And it was the Republicans who finally came around and I think forced the hand of the Democrats because they were stealing the issue from them. To your point, you made that Biden, when he was running for president, this was one of his things he was standing on, and he never did anything until now. So I know those are like three questions and things I just mentioned in there, but can you just address those? Yeah, so the federal government doesn't have the power to effectuate changes with respect to state law and state convictions, but in the signing of executive order that implores the state governors to also issue pardons or sentence commutations for people with marijuana possession charges, which is, again, massive. And one of the things I would note on that piece is I've been working with Representative Dave Joyce, one of the leading Republicans in the U.S. House, and Dave actually crafted a bill that I helped work on the framework of probably four years ago called the HOPE Act, which would provide federal funds for the states to process expungements. And that's the bill that's been talked about the most that would be combined with safe banking and a lame duck. So again, it makes everything, the pieces are, it's been a long, miserable walk in the dark. The sector's gotten pounded. There's been no hope. And as I've always just said, it's going to be a catalyst. And when it happens, watch out. And the pieces are starting to come together. This is the day that I've been waiting, you know, my entire life for with everything my father went through. It's been 50 years. And by the way, not to say I'm anything special, but I put a tweet out on Monday saying, keep an eye on D.C. this week. And I got a lot of hate back saying the boy who cried wolf. So it's finally nice to get one right. So suck it, Twitter. Yeah, yeah exactly. But Brady, it's good. So hopefully, I mean, this is a this is a big moment. Forget about the stocks. Honestly, I'm not even thinking about the stocks right now. Me either. This is 50 years in the making, undoing Nixon's policies and all the things that have gone on. This is a major win for everybody, and I just would not take that lightly. So, Brady, it's me here, Guy Adami speaking, big fan, as you know. This, to me now, all these companies have been waiting patiently on the sideline, all the big cap pharma names, all the beverage names. My sense is the M&A landscape is going to change considerably over the next few months. But am I looking at this correctly? Yeah, you're looking at this correctly. And if I'm going to focus on industries that I think will be the first movers to come in and pull the trigger, it'll be alcohol. I mean, they're already in. There's been a huge push in D.C. from a lobby standpoint. Alcohol's gotten behind it because they see the threat. They can't let seltzer happen again. Seltzer went and took a 50, 60 share points off of Bud Light, and they can't let it happen again. Cannabis presents a real threat to alcohol from a wallet and a share of stomach standpoint. And by the way, alcohol has been lobbying. If you saw Nancy Mace's bill, the States Reform Act, that bill is largely set up in the same way that alcohol is currently distributed, which is state by state on a three-tier distribution system. I firmly believe cannabis will ultimately be regulated the same way state by state after the, the rescheduling occurs. So I would be focused on alcohol and tobacco in the short term. I think pharma will come later. Really amazing, Brady. I know uh, we'll have a lot to catch up on later, but timing-wise, honestly, we're in the studio, and to get you on the phone and get your thoughts is tremendous. And congrats on all the work you've done. I know there's still a lot of work to do in the sector. Yeah, I just want to say one thing. You know, I've gotten to know Brady through Danny, as Guy has over the last, what, year, year and a half. You've been so generous coming on the pod and really giving not only just your take on what you just did here about just from a legislative standpoint, from an investment standpoint, you alluded to something that I think if any of you guys, and I know, Danny, you know this, 
in and out. Brady, you just said this is something you've been waiting for 50 years. It's very personal to you. And so hopefully I think your guidance for a lot of people, including us on this topic, is really important. And we thank you for it. So everybody listening, go Google Brady Cobb. and, and you Follow gotta, him on Twitter. And, and yeah, at B. No, Cobb Law. Fascinating life story associated with this topic. So check it yeah, out. Yeah, there's something called Sunburn that he started recently. So That's right. out there. Anyway, Brady, you're the man. I'll call you in a bit. Thanks, guys. Thank you, bud. Love Brady Cobb. And listen. Constellation Brands, obviously, is way ahead of the curve, but something happened literally today. They say if it wasn't for bad timing, I'd have no right, timing at exactly. all. Exactly. So they made a multi-billion dollar investment in Canopy years ago. Cost a lot of people their jobs, I think, at Constellation. Their whole idea is that we cannot let seltzer happen again to the alcohol industry, what they did. They came in and made all these seltzers and stuff. And so THC Beverages is what their mindset is. Well, just this morning, they wrote down, I think, a billion dollars of their investment in Canopy because, obviously, they have to start writing it down. Well, maybe tomorrow morning. We talk we about the Celtic thing. And when we it. were in high school and college, Bartles we, and James we, we were no, no, hold on a second. We yeah. were crushing the worst canned beer, you know, yeah. Milwaukee's best. PBR, what we call it. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. The kids today, you see them. They have these slim cans. They look too slick. They're, it's all I clear. Say, Guy, have Dan, you seen these? The Nooners no. and, and and all this stuff. The Trulies and stuff. It's I was just in my son's. Apartment refrigerator. It's they horrible. Had, it's embarrassing. No, they had natural lights. Okay, was, so you you felt a, a level felt, of respect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enyway. Natty, yeah. Light, Natty Light, right? Guy, what was your crap beer? Uh, uh, Strohs on tap at the tombs definitely. for you, Georgetown. Yeah, the tombs. There. Exactly. All right, what are we well, going to do? Soon they'll have THC in them. What, so, Danny, what are we yeah. doing? What are we doing? When are we going to get your guys on what are we doing? Just shout. Hey, listen, guys, if you're listening to this and you like what we do, but you also like what Danny does with Vinny and Porter and the whole idea of what are we doing, will you please tweet at that? we got to get them on the mic. I was driving to Boston the other day, and Brady had posted this, and I didn't really talk about it, but we got invited to speak at Harvard Business School. Harvard looks good now. We just had Brady speak in their entrepreneurial class two days ago. And I'm driving in the car going up to meet Brady in Boston. And I get on the phone with Vinny and Porter. We're on the phone for 22 minutes just shooting the shit. And I go, guys, how would you not just record this? It was just a back and forth of like, what are we doing? We were talking about energy. We were talking about rates. We were talking about Tesla. We were talking about everything. And so they'll do it. We'll get them on. It's happening. You know, we got, they're making too much money. I can't pull them off the All screen. All right, so we've had an action-packed show here. Guy came in mid-Mike Wilson. We had Brady just dialing in. We got a little call-in show here. God, what, what else we got to get? As you're listening to this, we will already have known the September jobs report. Mm -hmm. Okay, how important do okay, you guys that's think a great this is going to be? Right. Okay, let's talk about it. So you could give me the number right now. Wouldn't know what to do. So the estimate is 270, mm -hmm. 275. You could hand me 350. I'll make a bullish and bearish argument. You can hand me 175. I'll make a bullish and bearish argument, right? I think people want to see that number right down the middle right. because no one wants to have to evaluate because here's what's going to happen. If it's a bad number, the Fed probably won't recognize it. They'll come out and they're all out there. Kachikari, your favorite guy, guy, they're all out there saying, hope you're listening. We're still very hawkish. So that would be like stagflationary. I'll just say this real quickly, guy, and I'd love to get your take. If it is a really hot number, market's going down. Yeah, And SSP's filling in that gap, and it's going down. I think the unemployment number, the three-point whatever it's going to be, whether it's eight or 3.9 or whatever it's going to be, is a more important number than the job number. Fair enough. But anything north of 350, the market craters. And in terms of unemployment rate, we'll see how it shakes but out. But think of what you're saying. So we still have a lag impact from rate hikes. Mm. Believe me, I'm not bullish. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Whoa. I'm trying to paint the picture of 350, see, I told you we're still functioning, employment, we can handle yeah, these yeah, rates yeah. going up, and all the other inflationary things are starting to tick down. This is the best of all worlds. I mean, I'll paint you the bullish no, picture No, I've it. lived through that. Believe me. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. Again, this, you're right. 
I say it to Melissa all the time on Fast Money. If you had told me these numbers a day ahead, I'd be wrong half the time at best. And that's just the market we find ourselves in. By the way, speaking of somebody who's been wrong half the time, that's Danny Moses in this year's uh, NFL, no, by the way. I'm okay. Six, you six understand what I'm saying, wise guy. Okay. Yeah, I'm on the other That's side not of nitpick because I got to tell you, when you're playing at 85%, six and five ain't nothing to write home about. Well, listen. So I started out the season one and two. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. What? No. Yeah. I started out one and two. First time I've had a losing record as a member of On the Tape. So I'm now six and five. But Dan. Wait, has, wait. First things first. Dan I, is I, doing to me. No, I want to say I, I what was, you're doing. You're doing to me right now what I did to you last year. Yeah. I'm now taking the other side right. of your picks. And I am back down $1,000 to not too. doing that. Right, just first things first. So, so Thursday night, guy, we even told you this. Danny and I were with Joe Marchese. Oh, my God. I forgot Friend about of that. the pod. And we were watching this Cincy game, okay, in a bar. and Danny, On a phone. On a phone. And you got to see him. He's doing all those things. Like, you know, like he's doing all this stuff and his hands are moving. And then we had a bartender. Nice guy. But this kid. Degenerate. Oh, my God. I, and I Danny actually had a little sidebar with him. Stop. And yeah, he did. And he's like, listen, guy, you, you got to tune it. You got to turn so the, it down a little bit. You know what I mean? It no, was like, so the, so it the was kid like a Mc, little intervention. Yeah, the kid McPherson, the the kicker, kicked it, and I yeah. paid you hundred dollars. I go, Dan, I'll give you a hundred bucks if he makes it. And, and I, no, no, and I <laughs> I took a hundred bucks from Danny. He, he pulled it out of his wallet, and then I gave it to the kid behind the bar because uh, wow. he was getting killed. Yeah. He was getting wasn't he losing that game? Yeah, he was. Yeah, and then, yeah, he appreciated. Yeah. All right, so exactly. week five in the okay. league where they play for pay six and five, Danny Moses. By your standards, that's just an atrocity. What do you got for us? All right, so Cincinnati. Speaking of Cincinnati in that game, that was a Thursday night game, wasn't it, Dan? Yep. That gives them an extra three days, doesn't sure, it, guys? Does. They're going into Baltimore, right? That was a tough loss for Baltimore. Yeah, bad yes. coaching, by the way. Harbaugh's done a bad job this I year. I agree with that. I think That's a, a game they should have won. Very good coach, right? Bills came in and whatever. Since he's getting three points live Baltimore. Dog. Live dog. Live dog to win outright, but I like Cincinnati. Plus three. Dan, you want any action on nope. that one? All right. Uh, I love Jacksonville. I realized Hold that- on a second. Go Stop. Ahead. Yeah. Who talked about the Jacksonville Jaguars? You did. Thank you. You also talked about the Eagles, and you're right on Thank both, you. by the way. You've okay. Been, I'm you've just been putting it out good. there. Jacksonville's 2-2, two and two, by the way. Should be 3-1, and one, but doesn't matter well, in the league. Could have been 4. I mean, they were yeah. up 14 nothing. But anyway, they're coming home, right? They're coming back home again, and they're playing a horrendous Houston team. Oh. The line is 7. I can't believe I'm saying it. I love Jacksonville minus 7 because I think this is their true coming out. I think the, they are a very talented team, and they're just not in a market where people are seeing them. And so – I love Jacksonville minus seven over Houston. Dan, would you like Houston? Nope. All right. These, <laughs> I'm going to get four picks this week. Wow. With the hope of going three and I, one. I have a couple that I'd like oh. to see. Uh, oh, you're ahead. getting cocky? Okay. <laughs> All right. Bears plus seven and a half in Minnesota. I think Minnesota stinks. And I love Justin Fields. He keeps them in games. The Bear, I realize your G-men. Hold on. Don't, oh, God, guy's going to take action here. No, I'm not taking I'll take. Either. I'll take the Bears plus seven and a half in Minnesota. And then my last one is, and I'm most nervous about both these two teams are Jekyll and Hyde. I will take Tennessee minus two in Washington. I feel like this is when Tennessee gets on track here. So Tennessee minus two, Jacksonville minus seven, Bears plus seven and a half, Cincinnati plus three, four picks, Dan. None of those. What about this? I want to take Atlanta. I love Atlanta. I want to take Atlanta plus nine I'm short, and a half. I've been short Tampa okay, all year. Okay, fine. I know you have, and, and they do not look particularly good, so you don't want Tampa. The other one would be Green Bay minus eight. Over the New York Giants. I want to take that. You want Green Bay? Yeah. All right. Guy and I will split together. <laughs> you got to take the Giants. Guy. No, I don't. Side. That's not your team. I don't do that. That's the, the you put I'll the take ultimate, the Giants. Not one of my horns. picks. I don't do not that. Not one of your official you just picks. just because Chanos and Liz Young just want to be friends with them. You've taken the Packers. They already love you, Dan. You don't have to do that. Just to, By the way, I got to yeah, tell you something. Yeah. 
Packers right. defense is good. Yeah. That offense is not very good. And that Giant defense gets better so, each week. No, right. I don't so, I don't bet on sports. All right. So Dan, it's not my I'm thing. taking the Giants. What number do you see? Eight. I see Green Bay minus seven and a half. All right. I'll take Giants plus seven and a half for 500. Thanks. Okay. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been one of the more Wait, interesting. We're not done. We have on one more. Table. Oh, hold on a, a second. We have a rot. We have a rot. We have a rot, but we have one more thing. We have to talk in my interpretation. Uh, I know you guys have talked about it all week on this Tesla Twitter. W- Danny, what is your take on all oh, yeah. this? Danny, what's you know your what? take on this whole Twitter Tesla? I don't know. I mean, Elon Musk thing. here's what's interesting. These banks, remember we talked about Citrix? Citrix. Yep. That was a January deal. That was a 13 to $14 billion deal that's going to cost the banks $600 million, and now they, and they're going to actually have to buy $6 billion. You know what? All the bank pandering to Musk, all that stuff. Oh, the guy's a money machine for us. Well, if he goes through with this deal... You're looking at half a billion dollar write down and probably the carrying of some of this debt. Remember how we financed this thing with the term loans, with the secured, with the unsecured. That's the first part. The other piece of news to come out today that was interesting was on Tesla specifically, which is S&P upgrading the debt for the first time to investment grade. That would be from double B to triple B, Dan, right? S&P. Yeah, I saw that. Do you remember September there was a tweet from Musk about Moody's is irrelevant? Yeah. I find that interesting that Moody's isn't the one that upgraded. It was S&P. And also, listen, everything happens for a reason. I mean, I truly believe that. Now, I don't know. I don't think it's bullish necessarily. I don't supposedly they're free cash flowing. But people read into that like, oh, they must know something. Yeah. What they know is that deliveries were worse. The numbers are going to continue to get cut. And that Musk is going to have to sell a lot more stock. Uh, to get and, this and, and, and again, Tesla's had a really bad week. There was a day it closed down 8% after those September deliveries. The one thing I'll just say is that I think that there was probably him selling that day because that was the night that he came out and said that he's going to close on the deal. And I think he also knows because that would have to be out already. The filing would have to be out that he sold stock. Okay. Well, I would think, but go keep going. I mean, but it closed down 8% on the day when the market was up 2%. That I mean, the day. desk could be doing it for okay. him and then he, and then uh, he puts but, it on swap. So, but yes, fair. So my point is, is that he's probably been selling stock Friday on the close. This came out, the stock closed at 49.42. It closed at 52 the day after he said it was going to close that deal. The deal is for 54.20. So we're now two, three bucks below that. And they're, Really, a lot of talk about this debt contingency, whether the banks are going to wear this thing, because the truth is they're not in a position to take hundreds of millions of dollars of losses and sell this thing to their clients Correct. You know, at those losses. So the question we saw Apollo pulled out from the equity standpoint. So if he's going to close this thing, he's got to sell more Tesla or and I heard this and it's just a rumor. I heard there was secondary SpaceX for sale this week. Yeah, okay? it wouldn't shock me. All right. So then the question is, does the richest man in the world who basically in a, world. in a world where all of his wealth is tied up to a publicly traded stock and a private one at SpaceX that was last valued, I think, at 120 or something like that, billion, is he going to overpay 20 or $25 billion yes. for a company that when he takes it back up public, what do you think? Because he gonna... overplayed his hand and because he doesn't want to be deposed. Because if you're deposed, you have to answer questions about literally everything in your life. And it's worth $25 billion extra not to go down that road. And we have talked about this for a while. Tesla, very quietly, is down now some 43% from its all-time high. And I got to tell you something, not to dogpile on the Kathy Wood rabbit, but that ARC ETF is in a world of hurt in this environment. One last point, I would just say this on, on that, that Tesla situation. So it sounds like he's got an out if he can't get the debt no. financing. Nope. Nope. Are you nope. sure? Um, he tried to make that a new condition. Twitter said no. If he no. agrees, and Twitter said no. So – that, just so you know, Dan, that did not. So he tried to say, all right, I'll do it at 5420. Let me back up a second. 
I used to compare it to the Wizard of Oz. This goes back five years yep. of the must. You get to the curtain, the, the Tin Man, the Lion, they're all coming looking for hearts and brains and courage and all these things, right? And you pull the curtain back and you see this guy. Hearts right? and thoughts, they fade. Yeah. Just fade right away. All right, so listen. Shame on everybody deserves what's coming to them. The banks deserve it. Investors deserve it if they're long. Take a step back. He bid 5420 as a joke. They started to read his emails. He was going to be deposed. It was supposed to happen actually today, right, which is why he's paid. And the judge is not taking any shit from him. That's right. It's like we're moving forward, like we're doing. So he's so nervous. You know the other thing of this genius? He started to read. I don't know if he took the time to read the emails. He probably didn't of when he was reaching out to Larry Ellison. And was there anything behind this that was even calculated? You came up with a number because it was the 420, put the 5420 to joke. Do you think that he can run a SpaceX, a Tesla, a Twitter? I'll close with this just saying, like, again, I've always said this is the culmination of everything in these markets. But well, like, listen, I, I, listen, I don't think this deal's happening. I, I'm just telling you because if you think about since late April when he made this bid, when you think about where credit is, you think about equity valuations, but, you think about – I'm telling gonna you. Be legal. The judge is going to say you have to do it. I'm not saying that – but he's not going to get out of it legally. You're saying it's not going to happen. He's just going to say I'm not doing it. Regulators never punish him like they should for his 420 secured – and this is where we are. Listen, we've had plenty of companies over the history of you know the stock market massively overpay in M and A. We've never had an individual do this. Unique. To this it's a magnet. The story so keeps writing. I just I anyway. Where's Barry Diller in Activision? All right, should we get out of here, guy? You yeah, want to wrap this? No, I, but again, homage to Frank Morgan, the Wizard of Oz. By yeah, the way, yeah, yeah. Uh, and homage to Larry Ellison, who, as we said, that Friday. <laughs> what do you call that Friday fun day or drop day or Friday, Friday night dirties? That remember that was oh, a that Friday, night Friday night dirty. No one's yep. ever even asked him about it. It's never been a story written about it. But we talked about it. Yeah, this has been a fascinating, wow. enjoyable on the tape podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And what do you say, Dan? Leave us critiques or messages. Yeah, or... No, be careful because I got ratioed. You know what that means? Got to no. get ratioed. Someone tweeted something about me, and the amount of comments uh -huh. versus the amount of likes in here. It, it was like it was Bad disproportionate ratio. about the comments. Noted. First, yeah. I don't know. Okay, what that we'll means, learn that about that okay. next on. Yeah, let's get progress. guy ratioed. All right. Okay. Thanks, everyone. We will see you all next week. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.